0: So this is Africa, Bambara, and the Solsonic Force, Planet Rock, and um, yeah, this is a this is a great Afro-futurist record. I the title itself, obviously, is uh, you know uh, evoking something kind of space-related, uh, planet rock. Although actually, the planet in question is is probably uh, almost indisputably uh, planet Earth. Um, yeah, it is. Yeah. But just to conceive of Earth as a planet somehow or other is something born of that. I think it's is. It, what's what's the what's the year when the uh, first photos of planet Earth? I think it's 68 or 69. Yeah. So it's sort of, there's something about it, which just kind of understanding the earth within the kind of, within the, within the, within the solar system, um, within the universe is something which is kind of space age, I suppose. Uh, it's got a kind of planet it's got a kind of planetary kind of consciousness um it's certainly got a it's yeah it's uh, I mean the planet rock in in this particular instance is also um, a planet that is parting um so this is uh, an afrofuturist record that um is is made for kind of something which is supposed to be you know, engaging with a certain idea of the social and also about a kind of certain kind of interconnectedness. Uh, The record opens with kind of, you know, Bam and the soul sonic force evoking and speaking to the party people and all, and many of the different sort of cities where, you know, uh, partying, um, is, is going to be taking place. And I, uh, and, and many of the references within this are also kind of global. So this to me is actually something which, you know, does kind of connect to that kind of, to an idea of, of counterculture really. Uh, I mean, there were the, as is well known, this was a record that, um, Bambata wanted to appeal to uh, the punk crowd that he was beginning to come into contact with uh, when he started to kind of move from organising parties uh, uptown in the Bronx to moving more within within the downtown scene. So an an implicit alliance is being forged here. uh, another way that the an alliance is being forged is is the overt use of kind of references to craft work in the track. Um the it's sample, it's not just reference. The, well, they're not samples actually. They are references. They're re- they're recreated. There's no sampling that's oh, really? used. Yeah. Yeah. It's 1982. Uh sampling technology hadn't even come into play. Into usage, just yet. yeah. Well, it's always reported as being. Yeah, used. it's always wrong. You if, you if you had read my last book a little more carefully, Jem, you would know this. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's John Roby, who is a brilliant, another brilliant, or he was a brilliant kind of synth synth innovator uh, who did a lot of work with Arthur Baker in the early nineteen eighties, and was kind of along with Arthur Baker and Bambata was the kind of key innovator. Uh, one of the key innovators within kind of electro, uh, so he was he and he first worked with Arthur Baker uh, on this track. He was called in to sort of do do some synth work, and uh, it's the melodic line that is taken from Trans Europe Express, and it's the beats, uh, the Roland TR eight uh, hundred eight drum beats that are kind of uh, reproduced to create the beats that appear in Numbers. You know, the important thing to say, and it's been said before, of course, about this is that it's um, African Bambata being one of the relatively early, uh, maybe even one of the first black musicians to deliberately, um, effectively lift, uh, copy, uh, be inspired with, and kind of we could maybe say pillage uh, white music. Uh, the, much of the tw- much of the 20th century, had involved white musicians being inspired by, and we could also say, definitely pillage uh, the innovations of black music. But Bambata loved craft work, he would play their play records as he was DJing. He was known as he became known pretty early on, I think, as the master of records. He had this r- remarkable record collection that, in some respects, might have uh, been even broader in its taste than David Mancuso's. I mean, the way that he would. Put records together and the energy that he would create was really quite different from david but he certainly drew together a vast range of sounds and this became parts of the aesthetic that would go on to define hip-hop so if there was a kind of funky rock break um or uh or anything really from any genre of music uh that you know worked within this kind of funk sensibility then van Bart would integrate it into his sets and craft work uh became became part of that um, and yeah, I'd interviewed Bambata for the last book. And, uh, one of the things he said to me, uh, which is, in, is in the book, life and death on the New York dance floor, but I better kind of mentioned the title, I suppose. Uh, he said, uh, I wanted to create the first black electronic group, I was always into Trans Europe Express, and after craft work, put numbers out, I said, I wonder if I can combine them to make something real funky with a hard bass and beat. Anyway, the thing that stands out is Bambaataa saying he wanted to create the first black electronic group. And, you know, there'd obviously been plenty of black musicians, and we've already explored uh, a number of these who were, you know, innovating um, within technology, including synthesizer technology, whether that be S- Stevie Wonder or, or George Clinton. But this is Bambata saying he wanted an entirely electronic group. Uh, and that's quite interesting. Um, uh, and one other point that can sort of be uh, drawn out here, and I think is interesting, uh, and again speaks to the way that this is, this is a form of Afrofuturism that isn't that is forming is attempting to form the kind of connections and alliances, uh, and even to evoke a spirit of celebration that we've we've been saying ha- isn't always a- apparent in some of the other kind of uh articulations of afrofuturism that we've discussed so far. so far uh one of the other ways in which this comes out in this record and this was in part through arthur baker who was the producer of the record uh, is its attempt uh, which isn't mentioned in any hip-hop history that i've read but i do discuss it in, in this last book that i wrote is, is this is this attempt to kind of reproduce elements of La- larry levan's uh one of larry levan's most recent productions in in the kind of aesthetic of the record. And that record was the peach boys don't make me wait, um, which was when Larry Levan joined this kind of rock outfit called the peach boys. Was invited to join it by this guy, Michael De Benedictus, who was a synthesizer player, uh, who had formed the band and then had subsequently become friendly with with Larry Levan and become someone who was would play uh, synth live at the Paradise. C- Garage alongside Larry Levan, who was DJing, and Larry would fade in and fade out. Uh, Michael to has synth- synthesizer playing as, as according to the, that the particular moment and whether Larry thought that it would work to have uh, Michael jamming um, alongside the the vinyl selection. They then went to work together on this record. Don't make me wait. It was a big moment because no DJ, as far as I'm aware, had ever played the role of a producer in a band, and the band was actually quite. Shocked and almost unhappy that M- Michael to Benedict has had invited Larry Levan into it, but. Larry, again, this is kind of Larry as the, you know, is the the part Afrofuturist, if you like, already had the kind of a remix sensibility, uh, a dub sensibility, a bass sensibility. And he brought all these things to bear in in this extraordinary opening to the record, Don't Make Me Wait, which is is very dramatic, very spatialized, uh, you know, uses interesting sorts of synthesizer work and has these kind of really, really big kind of, hits uh, with with bass and and then with the drums as they start coming in. Uh, I think the synthesizer they use is is, uh, an ARP synthesizer, uh, which wasn't much in use at the time. Uh, And then it goes on to integrate elements of rock and soul and even a little bit of disco. But it is this incredible opening, and it was that opening that informs the overall aesthetic of Planet Rock. And if you think about it for just a second, it's kind of obvious, but no one has ever quite explored how Planet Rock came to be quite so different uh, from every rap track that preceded it. Because up until then, rap music had basically been about rhythm sections uh, you know, many of them associated with with, uh, or one of the, the one of the most influential being associated with Sugar Hill, basically recreating again, not really sampling, but recreating disco riffs, and then having people rap over those riffs. That was the basis of almost every single rap record released between. 1979 and and nine and early 1982 and then I think in the spring planet rock is released and completely transforms it and it did it by kind of leaning heavily on the aesthetic that was being developed by you know other 12 inches circulating uh, including this one uh, kind of remixed by and and also co-produced by Larry Levan. so I just thought that was kind of interesting thing to to mention is a, it's a different approach to something we've been this this idea of afrofuturism and offers a, offers a different route um, in, into it all, I think, or or out of it all.